Welcome to the fifth episode of Let Go and Let's Go, Start Building Your Dream Life Today. During season one, we are answering the question, why am I so tired and exhausted all the time? And in this episode, we'll explore healing ourselves by reclaiming sleep. I'm Amanda Harvey Love, a whole human being who also happens to be a certified life coach, teacher, librarian, entrepreneur, mom, wife, and so much more. For the last two decades, I've been supporting people of all ages as they determine and reach their goals. And in each episode of Let Go and Let's Go, I'll share actionable strategies, high quality resources, and self-inquiry prompts to help you start building your dream life today. Just a quick reminder before we get started that I am a certified life coach, but listening to this podcast doesn't make me your life coach. All podcast content is for educational and inspirational purposes only. I encourage all listeners to speak with the appropriate expert, such as their doctor, therapist, lawyer, or accountant, before making changes to their lives based on the information or inspiration I share. Now let's get going. Last week, my spouse had quite a few required work dinners, and then, as I mentioned in episode four, I spent some time in a church service full of unmasked people for a couple of hours on Easter Sunday after being super careful about wearing masks and generally not being in crowded spaces for the last two years. So I wasn't super surprised to have come down with a cold of some kind this week. The trees are in full bloom, so it could be allergies too. It's the first time I've felt sick in about a year and a half, and it's probably the worst illness I've had in probably three years. I've taken a bunch of COVID tests this week, and they've all been negative, but I just took another one, and sure enough, that's what it is. I'm as vaccinated as possible, not suffering, but not totally comfortable either. I mean, I still have enough energy to plan out this episode, and I didn't even need a nap today, but I'm sure you can tell that my voice isn't super strong. I'll be honest that I understand the huge desire to get back to normalcy. I really do. Usually by other white people on both sides of the political aisle, but niceness and a welcoming spirit or so many words about social justice really fall flat when we aren't making efforts to protect the most vulnerable in our world. I hope that as a society, we'll keep growing in our ability to listen to voices that are silenced and outnumbered. Lately, it feels like two steps forward, three steps back. I say this as someone who makes major efforts to do this and still doesn't do it perfectly. The good news is that combined with the fact that this is my kid's spring break, I have a few excuses to sleep more. I love sleeping or just lying down in my bed. It's just so much fun for me. I'm definitely one of the people in the world who does best with eight hours of sleep, and then I can still sleep all night if I get a short nap in the afternoon. I know I'm lucky in those ways, and I'm grateful. On the flip side of that, there have certainly been times when I haven't gotten enough sleep, such as when I was pregnant, followed by when my kids were babies. I had a shorter struggle with sleep when my work environment was toxic a few years ago. And about once a week, I still don't sleep well because my husband plays soccer late at night and then for whatever reason runs in the bed all night long. It makes me jealous of all the Downton Abbey people with their numerous rooms of large empty beds. I'm not a good couch sleeper. I recognize because I've been there before that our bodies and brains aren't always helpful when it comes to getting enough sleep. And I know some people have this struggle for most of their lives. 
One of my teenagers has been more likely to have less sleep throughout her life, and she's had moments when lack of sleep has had a negative impact on her well-being, but she's usually okay. I've found that when sleep just isn't coming to us easily, responding to ourselves and our situation as well as we can with acceptance and gentleness is the best way to move forward. One thing that hasn't helped me is looking too closely at sleep data each night. That usually adds to my anxiety. When we're thinking about the question, why am I so tired and exhausted all the time, I think it makes a lot of sense to take another look at our bigger sleep patterns and start to consider if there are small changes we can make. We know that sleep deprivation gets in the way of our mood, memory, attention, and physical health, as well as our relationships and goals. For many years, I carried a lot of shame around my behavior when I was both a middle school language arts teacher and a new mom with two babies. Those were the hardest years of my life because I didn't feel like I could keep up with any of my responsibilities, and I wasn't able to regulate my mood because of lack of sleep. As a result, I would sometimes overreact and would often aim to control both my small children and my students with words and behaviors I've long since regretted. I do believe I did my best in those years and have learned to be grateful that we all made it through. I asked to be reassigned to a more manageable grade level for me around the same time my kids started sleeping through the night, and that allowed me to return to my joyful, creative, loving self. Once I made the connection that sleep deprivation caused that low point in my life, as I learn more about sleep, I definitely do what I can to maximize my body and brain's ability to sleep well. And when I do have a running man in my bed or sinus congestion, I do my best to roll with it. But I'll be honest, sometimes I get mad when anything interrupts my precious sleep. A while ago, I heard a doctor's opinion about a family member's anxiety. She said that she wasn't sure if the person was having so much anxiety because they weren't sleeping or if they weren't sleeping because of extra anxiety. I think that captures this dilemma in a nutshell. There are many symptoms and conditions that can cause poor sleep or sleep deprivation, and poor sleep and sleep deprivation can cause a lot of symptoms and conditions. One thing we can all do is, while we're accepting the things we can't change, at the same time, move forward and address our sleep concerns in small ways. I found that just taking initial steps on that journey to better sleep has helped me to make incremental changes over the years, which has led to being much less tired and exhausted now than I used to be, even before I had babies. In addition to mood and memory concerns and general exhaustion, sleep deprivation eventually causes or correlates with every terrible thing we don't want in our lives, including death. It makes sense that we need sleep to survive. If it's possible for us to gently and compassionately improve our sleep, we probably should. Even though my sleep isn't perfect and does get disrupted from time to time, I've made these considerations as I've worked to improve my own sleep. 1. A consistent schedule. The first way I started to improve my sleep was to create a target bedtime for myself. Sometimes it shifts back and forth, but I feel the best when I go to bed between 9 and 9.30. I definitely went through a long period in my teens and 20s when I thought I was proving how cool I was by staying up later. And in my 30s, and even this year, I found myself looking at what other people were prioritizing to determine my bedtime. 
Shouldn't I stay up later to be with my husband and kids? Don't I want to be caught up on my latest British Netflix show? So it's definitely not a perfectly consistent situation. But I do find that when I'm in bed by 9 or 9.30, I feel much more refreshed the next morning. Two, I turn off the computer and phone screens as early as possible. The next thing I did was to limit my computer and phone time, especially close to bedtime. I'm sure now that we've had so many years of Zoom meetings, everyone knows about the impacts of blue light close to bedtime. Buying blue light blocking glasses certainly helped my eyes feel better. But honestly, choosing to engage with social media and the news, and if possible, email, in the morning or at the latest in the early afternoon gives me a lot more time to decompress from any bad news I might see or challenging exchanges I have to navigate. Again, I'm not perfect about it, but having that boundary for myself has certainly had a positive impact on my sleep over the last few years. I will clarify that I still watch what my family calls my British people shows close to bedtime. They're usually not too violent or stressful, thankfully. Yes, I do see how saying imperialism and colonization is not too violent or stressful is ironic. Number three, more time between dinner and bedtime. I found that eating too much too close to lying down for the night caused indigestion and just generally poor sleep. So now I try to be upright for at least an hour or two between my last meal of the day and going to bed for the night or lying down to watch TV. We don't have a TV in our bedroom. Our TV is in the living room, but sometimes I'll lie down on the couch if my body is tired. I still eat popcorn a little too close to bedtime, but it's not super heavy and doesn't have the same impact. Number four, alcohol. One of the ways alcohol has cemented itself into our culture is with the idea of the nightcap. I was so bummed when I found out that alcohol actually makes it harder to get a good night's sleep. I really believed that if I had one drink at night before bed, I would sleep better. But the science just doesn't support that at all. I know this is disappointing, and I'm sorry. The good news was that learning this made it that much easier for me to give up alcohol entirely. I loved my sleep more than alcohol, so it was a good motivator to make alcohol a rare thing in my life. Number five, caffeine. I still drink caffeine even though I know it stays in my system all day and does its job of keeping me awake very well even after I don't want it to. In the past, I've given up caffeine for weeks at a time and alcohol for much longer at a time, and giving up alcohol makes me feel better than giving up caffeine. I know that making caffeine rare would have an amazing impact on my well-being, and that's something that's on my to-do list. But for now, I try to stick with one cup of coffee per day, and I try to have it before noon. We have a new Vietnamese coffee place near me, though, and once a week, I make it over there in the afternoon and order a decaf coffee drink. Another area for growth, but I'm going to tackle sugar first. Number six, softer lighting before bed. My husband is always joking about how I hate lights. I do think I'm more sensitive to bright lights than most people, and I do really prefer soft lamp lighting. I don't really like going to cheaper hotels because they always use those super bright fluorescent lights in their lamps and in the bathroom. Sometimes I'm going to buy a set of soft, warm light bulbs just for road trips. In the past, I've read that any light too late at night can disrupt our sleep for several hours. 
I try not to think about that too much, honestly, because it's hard to avoid all light for even one night with all the plugs and phones everywhere, not to mention needing to see if we get up to use the bathroom or check on something in the night. But I do my best not to turn on the overhead light in my bedroom after dinner, and we just have lamps in our living rooms. I think the lower lights help us all wind down for the night so we're more ready for bedtime. 7. Phones all the way off. We all know that phones have sleep mode, right? No, we don't. My phone does not bother me at all after 8 p.m. It goes into some sleep mode I set up a long time ago. It doesn't buzz or ring or vibrate at all between 8 p.m. and 7 a.m. And it's one of my favorite things about my life. Not everyone does this, and I don't understand why. I think some people are worried that someone will need to reach them in the night, and maybe when my kids are out late, I'll leave my sounds on too. Or I can just put them on the list of contacts that can ring through in the middle of the night. Number eight, meditate or sleep story. I know that meditation is usually supposed to be about staying awake and alert, but I regularly use a 10-minute pre-recorded meditation to put me to sleep. Yes, I have access to specifically sleep meditations, but as long as I can lie down, close my eyes, and pay attention to my breath while listening to a relaxing voice and calming nature sounds in the background, that's enough. If that's not enough, I'll play a sleep story in the call map. Number nine, morning alarm. My first rule for my morning alarm is that I try really hard not to hit the snooze. I know some people love doing that, and I'm not here to dissuade you. But I found early in college that hitting the snooze made me really tired when I finally woke up. Instead, I just woke up, and I'm usually pretty happy and calm within a few minutes. In fact, it makes the whole waking up process more enjoyable for me, which in turn helps me to have a good attitude about how well I sleep, which in turn helps me to sleep better. If I set my morning alarm too early, like before 6 a.m., I find that I don't sleep well in the middle of the night. I know some people have shift work or other reasons they have to wake up super early, but since I don't, I find that I sleep better if I don't force myself to wake up before 6. Number 10, long naps. Right now I'm in the habit of avoiding long naps, unless I'm sick or I had very poor sleep in the night before. I can usually take a nap that's an hour or less and still sleep well that night. There are plenty of recommendations online, but I didn't fit those recommendations exactly. I just kind of experimented with napping until I found what worked for me. I definitely don't take a nap every day, but it made me feel a lot better when I found out John F. Kennedy did, even and especially when he was president. Some of my family members can't nap at all, and that makes me sad for them, (laughs) but they aren't bothered and get the right amount of sleep for them. That's what matters. Number 11, waking up in the night. Sometimes I wake up in the night and I can't go back to sleep immediately. This started when I was pregnant for the first time, which was when I was 24, and it hasn't stopped. Before that, I always, always slept heavily all night long. I actually felt better when I started being able to wake up in the night because I worried that I would sleep through a fire alarm or something. See, there are always reasons for gratitude, even in frustration. And I do get very frustrated when I can't get back to sleep because, and I'm sure you know this by now, I really, really love sleep. The first thing I do if I can't go back to sleep quickly is to really try to extend and slow down my exhales. Extending our inhales wakes us up and extending our exhales helps us calm down. If that's not enough, 
Depending on my energy level, I'll either put in my earbuds and listen to a meditation before going back to sleep, or I'll get up and drink chamomile tea with toast and watch British people TV and go back to bed when I'm tired. This may not work for you. I did it one night many years ago, and it made me less mad about being up in the middle of the night, so I stuck with it. Now it's time for my Always the Librarian segment, where I point to the prophets, mothers, and teachers in my life. A few years ago, our friends visited us from North Carolina. It was so fun, and I missed them. I haven't seen any North Carolina friends for three years or more, I think. Anyway, these friends are big into life hacks, and they had a book recommendation for us on their visit. I've read the book, and I'm just terrible at fitting squarely into any type, especially a type that's determined by a quiz. Even so, the ideas behind this book were interesting, and I'm probably a bear given how much I sleep. But I want to be a lion so I can go to bed and get up earlier. The book is called The Power of When, Discover Your Chronotype, and The Best Time to Eat Lunch, Ask for a Raise, Have Sex, Write a Novel, Take Your Meds, and More by Michael Breas, Ph.D. Two caveats. First, I don't think I've recommended any books by men so far. I generally aim to amplify the voices of women, BIPOC, and LGBTQIA people, even if most of the people I mentioned don't really need my help with that. And second, the foreword to this book is by Dr. Oz, who in my mind is more of a celebrity or maybe thought leader than a scientist. So this is more of a fun recommendation than a serious, you should go change your life based on this book recommendation. Honestly, just the title makes me kind of tired and exhausted but it was a fun book to read and think about. Basically, he lays out four chronotypes, bear, lion, wolf, and dolphin, I think, and gives you a quiz to determine yours, and then he gives ideal daily schedules for each type. There are some scientific ideas mixed in with his recommendations. For example, I think he said that our naps should either be 20 minutes long or 90 minutes long, and he explained why, so that was interesting, even though I'm absolutely never following that advice right now. If you haven't noticed yet, I'm pretty big on self-leadership instead of doing what other people tell me to do, and I want to give support to people I coach so they feel comfortable and free to make their own decisions based on solid evidence and what their inner voice is calling them to. What? It says I'm a bear, but I want to be a lion? Yes, that's allowed. <laughs> I want to eat breakfast the minute I'm hungry? Yep, I'm doing that too. I'm absolutely not saying you should read this book and do everything it says. But if you do read it, maybe it will give you some interesting ideas to play with in your own life so that you can create the life you want a little bit faster. I picked up this book from my local library, and I hope you're finding several ways to support your libraries this month. National Library Week was a couple weeks ago, and School Library Month is all month. My more serious recommendation is Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto by Tricia Hersey, the NAP Ministries NAP Bishop, who I mentioned a few episodes ago. I haven't read this book, but the description sounds amazing. We can pre-order it now, and it will be sent right to our door in October when it's released. It's super important to support authors we love, and especially Black authors, by pre-ordering their books. I'll include a link in the show notes for you. Each week, I share some self-inquiry prompts to help us reflect and apply the ideas I've shared in this episode. 
If you're driving or out on your walk, you can just listen, but I do believe writing down our thoughts gives our reflections more staying power, and I encourage everyone to journal about these this week sometime. They're on the show notes, too, if you want to see them written down. 1. How can I gently and compassionately reflect on my sleep habits so I can take immediate incremental steps toward better sleep? 2. How can I make sleep a more luxurious and joyful experience for myself? 3. What are some rituals and routines I can try to calmly return to sleep when I wake up in the night? 4. What would it feel like to lie down for just 5 or 10 minutes after work each day, even if that is unpaid work? before completing other chores and responsibilities. Well, friends, this is the last episode of my first mini-season. In addition to today's episode about reclaiming quality sleep, in previous episodes I've shared several actionable steps and inquiry prompts about acknowledging our grief, changing our relationship with alcohol, social media, and the news, and reorienting our interactions with the games society asks us to play, all in an effort to regain our energy and our time and feel less tired and exhausted in our lives. If you've missed any of these first five episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen. I'll be checking in now and then between seasons, so please don't forget to subscribe. I'm really excited to share the next season with you in August. It will be all about having the courage to lead ourselves and our families in unconventional ways, and how acting on that courage is the key to improving our lives and healing our world. I'm in the process of planning conversations for that season, so if you have a story to share, please reach out to hello at brightandbeautifulsociety.com. The very best way to stay in touch and be the first to hear about my upcoming offers and receive some of them for free is to sign up for my newsletter at brightandbeautifulsociety.com. May the months ahead bring you rest, peace, and many blessings. Bye for now.